This episode of the Aquarius Podcast is sponsored by Aquarium Co-op. Corey and the team at Aquarium Co-op have redefined the tropical fish and plant buying experience. Aquarium Co-op provides incredibly healthy fish, gorgeous plants, and top quality lights, food, and accessories at competitive prices. So how do I know this? Well, I'm fortunate enough to call them my local fish store where I've purchased many of the aforementioned items. Now you may not live in the greater Seattle area, but that shouldn't stop you from checking them out. Pay close attention. Listeners of this podcast can get 5% off AquariumCoop.com orders by using the promo code Aquarist5 at checkout. One more time, that promo code is Aquarist5. And if their retail operation wasn't enough, they bring exceptional video content through the Aquarium Co-op YouTube channel. I encourage you to check out the instructional how-to, travel, and fish room tour videos. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Lastly, be sure to share the Aquarius podcast with your fish nerd friends. Now, on to the interview. Today's date is Friday, September 7th, 2018. My guest today is Robert Lupton, owner of Flip Aquatics, the largest online retailer of freshwater shrimp in the United States. In addition, Rob also provides weekly video content through the Flip Aquatics YouTube channel. So Rob, welcome to the Aquarius podcast. Randy, thank you so much for having me, man. I'm looking forward to, uh, to chatting. Absolutely, man. Thank you very much for making time and your, your super busy schedule. In full transparency, that was the second take of the intro. I could not pronounce your last name, or at least I couldn't remember how to pronounce it. So <laughs> just so every, everybody out there <laughs> it, it's knows. It's a difficult one. <laughs> well, it, it really, it shouldn't be difficult, right? So I, I should have it ingrained in my brain now, Lupton. All right, it's, it, it's there. You'll never mess it up again. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So, Rob, yeah, in, you know, in the intro, you are the, um, l- you own the largest online retailer for freshwater shrimp in the United States. So, I mean, h- how does that feel right off the bat? So, that is definitely our claim to fame. Um, it feels really good. You know, we, we've worked very hard, and, and I don't know if you plan on asking me about, like, how we got started and all that, but we have a long story of how we got to where we are. Oh, and, I love uh, it. It feels really good. You know, a lot of hard work, a lot of long hours, a lot of dedication, and uh, we're not where we want to be yet, but we're we're on our way. Yeah, excellent. So before I open it up freeform to kind of the origin question, I mean, I guess maybe I'll I'll do the origin, but in a little bit more focused fashion. So, what is your first memory and recollection of of having a tropical tank? My first memory is probably the first time I ever like fell in love with fish tanks, and it was uh, I I was meeting this girl for like the second time. Uh, I was going to pick her up at her at her parents' house. And I open up the door, and right at the bottom of the basement steps, as soon as you open the door, is this 55-gallon tank. And I just remember seeing it and thinking, that is huge. <laughs> and, and so, like, before anything else, I had to convince her that she would show me her fish tank that she didn't care about, only her dad liked. And, uh, and that's just kind of the bug. So that, that was the first time that I got introduced to, like, a tropical fish tank. And uh, I've been in love ever since. Oh, very cool. And so this is, I mean, as far as timeline goes, this isn't when you're, you know, a real young guy. Well, I mean, relatively young, I guess. So maybe around the 16, 17. Well, what, what kind of age range were you? Yeah, I think I was, I, I want to say I was 19. And I always had, like, the typical goldfish fair tank growing up and, and killing feeder fish um, and having hermit crabs and things like that. But I never really had, like, that deep passion for it. And really, even an interest in it until like I walked in and saw that tank. And what was in that tank? Can you recall? Yeah, so <laughs> it's actually funny. He had um, a huge um, pleco, like the the plecos that you buy at the store, 
Um, he had an Oscar, I believe. Yes. And like a bunch of just random fish. You, you so like it was like the the weirdest tank ever. I was gonna say, man, because you if you know depending on how many episodes or which ones you've caught, man, I, I basically um, consider the Oscar even with a pleco the Oscar like fifty five gallon to basically be like the Trans Am in the driveway for American fish keeping. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah, man, I, I, all of the memories that I have of my own Oscar tank, um, I think my aunt had an Oscar tank, a, a friend's Oscar tank uh, in high school. Like, there's just such awesome memories around these 55-gallon tanks with a big old honking Oscar in it. Um, and for sure, one of my early takes had that that common placostomus because you, you had to get the cleaner fish, right? You had to get that, uh, that fish that's going to grow to be, what, like three or four feet, however long a common pleco can actually get. Yeah, huge. But yeah, you had to have it. That's what the pet store told us. <laughs> and so now, when did you get your first tank then? So you fell in love with this 55-gallon. How does your journey start? So I fell in love with this 55-gallon. Um, I ended up starting to date this girl, and uh, it became a weekly tradition to go to the pet store, um, buy a few fish that would go in there, and kind of redo this this tank that he had. So we ended up getting rid of the Oscar uh, we ended up getting, like, a bunch of, like, balloon mollies and normal mollies and just, like, a bunch of random stuff that could go together. And uh, eventually, his dad's or her dad saw how much I loved this fish tank, um, and I talked him into getting a bigger tank, and he ended up giving me the 55-gallon, and that just kind of blew up the journey for me. Oh, that's awesome. So then now that you've got the 55-gallon, are you still keeping the mollies in there and, and kind of the other community fish, or did you change it over? No, so I did that for a long time. I ended up, you know, it's the typical fish journey. Uh, you get a tank, you get fish, they breed. You have to have a tank for the babies, and then you have to have two tanks for the babies. Then they grow up. You don't know what to do with them. You get more tanks. You find out that Craigslist has tanks for, um, you know, 50 cents a gallon, so you buy a bunch of those, and it just all blows up from there. So I do not have mollies anymore, but that is that is definitely where it all started. Nice. And at the time, is this? Are you still living with the parents? And so now you're kind of converting your room and maybe the garage, or it is, does Rob have his own place at this point? So at this point, Rob, Rob's married. He's no longer with that girl. Um, I, I do have my own house. Not living with the parents anymore, even though I think my wife would enjoy that. <laughs> but yeah, so um, have my own place. We have a warehouse now. We have a four thousand square foot warehouse that we do all the shrimp stuff out of. And then at my house, I have an office which has um, six tanks, maybe eight, something like that, where I just keep, like, the little odds and ends that I really enjoy and try to keep the, the hobby and business a little bit separated. Nice. Robin, I, I apologize the way I phrased that. I meant uh, at the at that point in the story where you're still living at your parents. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm like, this okay, guy. Okay, fair enough. I'm like, Rob must still live at home at, at this day and age. <laughs> Hey, that's all right. You know, you never know. But, uh, yeah, Apologies. at that point, I Apologies. was still living at home. Um, I ended up putting all the tanks in my bedroom, convinced my parents that I wanted to do a whole room in the basement. Um, they let me do that. And then um, then I got the warehouse, kind of moved everything to the warehouse from there. And then probably about two years down the road, um, I ended up moving out, getting married, and uh, and that brings us to where we are now. Awesome. Uh, and so before we do jump, uh, you know, talk talk about it right now. I guess when was your first introduction to shrimp? Then, right? So you, you know, you you started with those balloon mollies and the community fish. At what point in the journey did you come across freshwater shrimp and think that that was the craziest thing you'd ever seen? And the bug bit you. Yeah. So so what actually happened with that? It, it's a fun story. Um, my neighbor had an alligator, 
And uh, he was buying ghost shrimp at the local pet store. They were always sold out. And so he came up to me, and he's like, hey, you know, I know you like fish tanks. If you could breed um, ghost shrimp for me, you know, I'll buy them off you for X amount, and, you know, you can make a little money. And, I, you know, at that point, I'm a, I'm a business and accounting major going to college. So, like, I have the business aspect, and I also have the passion for um, the aquariums. And so I tried ghost shrimp, couldn't get them to go, um, because a lot of ghost shrimp require brackish water to breed. And so I switched over to cherry shrimp, set up a 10-gallon tank to start breeding them. And uh, I didn't end up selling any to them because after about three weeks of keeping the cherry shrimp, I just absolutely fell in love with them. Um, I found myself always watching that tank, not caring about any of my other tanks. Um, and then that's kind of like where it all got started because I realized that I couldn't take my eyes off that tank. That is super cool. And, and I have to back up. You said your neighbor had an alligator? Yeah, so my neighbor had a 75-gallon tank in his living room, and he had, I want to say it was like a 12-inch alligator. And so apparently if you keep them in a small tank, they won't grow. And so that's what he did, and he he had that thing for, I don't know, probably four or five years. So I grew up in California. I now live in Washington, so I'm a West Coast boy. I, I've never come across a neighbor that had an alligator. I don't even think, I don't think that's a legal pet. So do you guys, you're in Ohio. I mean, are, are things just a little bit kind of looser and, and squirrelier in Ohio? Yeah, so pretty much in Ohio, you can, you can do what you want. Um, at that point, we were living out in the country. And um, I think he, I want to say he ordered it from Florida, and then they shipped it to him. Because I, I don't think there's anywhere you can just go and buy an alligator in Ohio either. Um, Ohio weather and Washington weather is probably pretty similar. So yeah, yeah you, it's, it's definitely not a common thing. <laughs> Your neighbor had an I love and I love how you just kind of casually started the story with. So my neighbor had an alligator, <laughs> <laughs> and we're not in Florida. That is that is awesome. And I think what's really cool about hearing your backstory, Rob, is that so many people know you. I know you through kind of present day, um, and even going back a little bit of your the videos that you put out which are fantastic. I'm really loving your fish room tours that you're doing right now. Maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, you know, when, when you have kind of this persona that people know you as, and, like, you're known as a shrimp guy, right? Like a big-time warehouse shrimp guy, it's really cool to hear how you got your start and how you progressed, and it wasn't always just with shrimp, right? Like shrimp kind of came along later in your journey, um, and, and it was kind of a, you know, eh, I think there's a way for me to make money, and then you absolutely fall in love with it, right? And then now we can really see how you then jumpstart um, into what you are now. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, not, it's always fun hearing the story of how people get to where they are, just because like, like you said, you see them where they are, and then you don't even think of their journey, and the journey is always the best part. Yep, yep. You just think that, you know, overnight, like Rob woke up and he had, you know, th thousands of shrimp tanks and, you know, he, he's receiving in, you know, massive orders, massive import orders. But it's like, no, like, you know, you had, and a lot of people have these very, very humble, normal beginnings. Um, you know, you just maybe are a little bit crazier than the rest of us to kind of take things to where you have. Absolutely. Well, when, when you love a hobby so much, um, there comes a point where you either have to turn it into a business to justify it or you just can't do it as big as you want to do it. So um, I, I got to the point where I had to turn it into a business to get any bigger. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. And so I guess after the you know the abbreviated progression then from the cherry tank, uh, from the, I'm sorry, the cherry shrimp tank. Uh, what was so Neo Caradina? What was your progression within shrimp like to the point where you're like, man, you know, I've got too many tanks. I need to get a warehouse. Yeah. So what happened for me? 
Um, it, I mean, it's a, it's a loaded question. Um, what happened was there's, there was a lot of things that came into play to get me to where I am now. Um, but the one big thing is I, I started just doing multiple shrimp tanks. You know, I just started converting all my tanks to shrimp, um, trying different types, different species, tiger shrimp, crystal shrimp, Taiwan bees, neocaridina. And quickly what I realized is that I was spending all this money, I was putting all this effort into it, and I was still failing. Um, there were certain species I couldn't keep or I was getting them in and they were dying. And as I lost, you know, a fair amount of money and I killed a fair amount of shrimp, I, I started coming to the conclusion that um, the shrimp that I was killing, was, or it wasn't my fault. It was simply that I was getting them from places that didn't take care of their shrimp. And so at that same time, I was um, I just graduated college. Um, I started a business with a doctor, um, and that business was going really well. And I was just in the transition of leaving that business, and kind of all these things came to play. And I it just clicked one day. Um, I think a couple YouTubers um, or a couple YouTube subscribers uh, were commenting that, like, hey, you should sell these. Hey, you should sell these. And I was always selling them on a small scale. Um, but I realized that I really, really wanted – um, a place to buy shrimp that I knew that they were healthy. And so at that point, I just decided, like, hey, like, if you want to see a difference, you got to make a difference. And so I decided that I was going to be the largest breeder in the United States, and I was going to breed all these shrimp and have a warehouse where I bred shrimp. And so I just decided I was going to open a business. So I, I built a business plan. I got some investors, and then I transitioned to the warehouse. And and there's a lot more along that story because obviously now I don't breed I import, and so there's a there's a couple of pieces missing there. But that's that was the big transition for me is just deciding that I wanted to be make a difference and be a difference in the United States. No, very cool. And so I guess to to make that difference, right? So to to start breeding the shrimp, you were still at that time you're still importing, right? And I guess the problem is is that there is a um, uh, I don't want to say a die-off rate, an attrition rate, a shrinkage rate. Shrinkage is theft, but th there's you're going to lose some of your your initial import, right? So whatever uh, shrimp are remaining that are healthy, you, you then just you're breeding those guys, right? And then it was the offspring or the offspring of the offspring that you were then making available for sale. Is that about right? Uh, not really. So okay, I, is that first, yeah, set us straight? And that's okay. <laughs> it's okay, <laughs> but. When I first started, um, I actually had a decent amount of shrimp that I was breeding. Um, I wasn't importing at all. I was buying from, you know, local hobbyists trying to, not local hobbyists, but like hobbyists that sell on Aquabin and things like that or reputable breeders. And I was just kind of trying to start colonies. So I was getting all these starter colonies from different people. Um, I think at that point we had 96 tanks and we were kind of just trying to start from the beginning. So I actually didn't sell shrimp for probably – the first year of owning the business because I was just letting them breed. And then quickly, um, after starting to sell, I realized that there was no way that we could keep up with the demand. And so what ended up happening was um, we're selling these shrimp that we're breeding. We're constantly out of stock because we're not breeding enough. And basically the thing that I'm trying to prevent, which is people going to like importers who sell um, six shrimp that aren't doing well, um, that have parasites and all these different issues. Um, I was trying to take those people out of business and offer USA bread shrimp, um, but I simply just couldn't keep up. I, there's no way for me to breed enough shrimp to make it worth it. Um, I didn't have the capital to have a thousand tanks and be breeding all these shrimp at the same time because really that's what you need. You need 
um, 100 ponds, a couple thousand tanks to really do it to scale to where you can meet demand. And, um, and I just couldn't do it. So um, probably about two, two and a half years in, I realized that I was not making a difference. Um, I wasn't making any money. I was losing money every month, um, which, again, isn't, isn't a big deal because, you know, it's your hobby, too. So if you can make any money at all, it's working. Um, but it just wasn't going well. And I quickly found out that, like, hey, like, either I'm not going to do this as a business or something needs to change. And so at that point, I decided that, hey, I am going to either quit doing this and I made no difference at all, or I can import shrimp, and um, which is the thing that I was trying to prevent, the, the people that I was trying to take out of business were the importers. I can either be an importer or be out of business and my thing was I'm going to be an importer, but I'm going to be the best importer. So I'm going to do the longest quarantine. I'm going to guarantee that they're healthy. I'm going to guarantee that they're going to survive for you. And so granted we, we did transition from USA bread to imported, but it was a long process and it was the only one, um, the only option that I saw that really made sense. So that's, that's a loaded answer, so I'm sure there's more questions that will follow along with that. No, I think that I think that was fantastic to give that insight, right? To to like you said, a loaded question, a very multifaceted question. Um, I guess so. When when you were trying to breed, um, were you in the warehouse at that time? And if yes or if no, I guess how many tanks were you running to try to to get a breeding operation going? Yes, yeah, so we were we were in the warehouse. Uh, we had 96 tanks going, um, half of which were. 20 gallons and the other half were 40 gallons. Um, and then right towards the tail end of doing it, we opened another room that was about a hundred tanks of 20 gallons. And so roughly about 200 tanks that we were really trying to um, produce shrimp in. And um, now going back, I, I learned a lot and I would do a lot of things differently. And so if you want to backtrack, I could, I could go back and say how I could have made it successful. Um, but I just didn't see it in the moment. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I would love to hear that, your perspective. Yeah, so if, if I could go back in time and, and tell myself, hey, you should do this or, hey, you should do that, uh, the one thing that I would have done differently is instead of trying to be like a hobbyist, who a hobbyist is someone who um, collects every species of shrimp because they're so excited about it. They want to keep this shrimp and that shrimp, and they never heard of this type, and they'll keep that. Um, so I'd go back and tell myself to focus in on maybe two or three species of shrimp. Um, so maybe, you know, you could be the number one producer of cherry shrimp in the United States, or maybe it would be the number one producer of crystal reds or royal blues or whatever it is, but just pick three because all of a sudden, if you only have three types of shrimp, you divide that over 200 tanks. Now you have, what, 60, 65 tanks of each type of shrimp. And so now all of a sudden you won't be running out of those shrimp. And as you grow, you can add different species of shrimp. And so any hobbyist I talk to, anyone that wants to turn this into a business and wants to breed, I always tell them that. Just start with one or two types, maybe even three if you're, you're fully committed, because then you'll never run out, and then people can always come to you to buy that type of shrimp. Yeah, no, I think that specialization is just really great sage advice, um, and that's actually something as a as a home hobbyist that I'm trying to do for my own 
um, fish room and my own breeding operations that, you know, I'm not trying to turn a profit or anything, but uh, there's one species of rainbow fish that in particular I really want to master. I've got breeding tanks set up for that and fry grow out. And I'm just going to focus on those guys as far as my breeding operation and the other tanks that I have. Um, sure, there's other species, but those are more for fun, more for display purposes, and for my breeding operation, for being able to share these fish with other people, um, it's this one particular species. And then once I feel comfortable, maybe either uh, divesting from that species or then bringing something else on as my fish room expands, um, you know, and other opportunities come up for me. And yeah, I think that's excellent. I mean, that's absolutely the best way to start because then with that specific species of rainbow fish, when everyone's talking about it, you're the first person that's going to come up because you're the one that's breeding, you know, hundreds or thousands of them a year. And uh, they're always going to come to you for that. Yeah, and I would even draw the parallel, too, to the, the fish store world. So I've had a conversation with Corey of Aquarium Co-op, and we were talking about, you know, mom-and-pop fish stores that aren't doing great. And, you know, one of the things I think that is so striking about going into his store versus some other ones or more traditional mom-and-pops is the... I don't want to say this and have it be in a negative sense, but the lack of, you know, Amazon-esque selection that he has on his shelves. Um, so your retail shelf space is, is very much at a premium, and I guess the food category would very much so. Um, I, I think most mom-and-pop shops have this mentality where they're going to carry everything under the sun as opposed to kind of focusing down on some some a core group of food brands and then really knowing those and selling them. Um, I, I think one things that one of the, the things that fish stores now get into, or one of, well, not now, but that they've gotten into is expiration dates. And when you have so many SKUs like that of just food alone, the choices are overwhelming and you could end up just having your money and inventory sitting on the shelves for far too long. And I think there's a loose thread of a connection in terms of specialization, right? So if you're thinking about starting up a fish store, um, I think that's one thing that Corey would tell you would be to also kind of focus in and specialize uh, on, on, on a core group of products. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. It's couldn't agree more. And so now, I mean, what does what so what does your warehouse operation look like then? Going from from breeding, and thank you again for kind of going back um, with your hindsight now of all, all the experience that you have of of trying to do the breeding thing and you know not being as successful as you wanted to. So now, what does like the import operation look like for you at Flip Aquatics? So now, um, currently, our warehouse is <laughs> we we've almost outgrown it, which is a good thing. Um, we currently have uh, three breeding rooms. We have one room that has I believe 34 ponds and then we have two rooms that have about um, 100 tanks in each one so we're operating with about 200 aquariums about 34 ponds um, and then our import operation the way it works is we try to get about one import in a month um, and that just keeps you know shrimp coming in shrimp going out and then our biggest thing that that we talk about is we have a 30-day quarantine and this all stems back from the point that um, you know I really didn't want to be an importer it was never my goal um, it was really what I was trying to prevent was importers in the United States. Um, so, again, it goes back to wanting to be the best importer then if I was going to do it. And so we do a 30-day quarantine, and a lot of people get this confused. Um, a lot of people think we do a 30-day quarantine just um, to basically weed out parasites. Um, there's the main um, parasite slash sickness that shrimp have. It's called Elobiopsidae. Um, we also call it the green fungus. If if you're at all involved in shrimp, you'll know about this. And neocaridina shrimp are the only ones susceptible to this. Um, and so when you buy shrimp from Taiwan, they usually come in not very healthy. They're not doing well. 
a lot of them will have this LO biopsy day. And so a lot of people thought we were doing a 30-day quarantine to get rid of that. And so you could, you'd see a ton of hardcore hobbyists um, battling us just saying, like, hey, like 30 days, like, doesn't do anything. Um, but in reality, what I've found and what I've implemented is 30 days we call it the red zone. And so the first 30 days you get shrimp, um, this is usually what happens. Um, during shipping, shipping is stressful, shrimp molt. Um, they shed their exoskeleton, and usually they do it early because of stress. So 30 days later, they're going to molt again um, because that's usually their time frame. And so that next molt is going to be so hard on them because their previous molt was usually early or it was due to stress. And so you'll see a lot of die-off about 24 days or so after receiving the shrimp because they're going through that second molt. Um, so our 30-day quarantine was set up with the idea of we wanted the shrimp to survive one molt so that it was a healthy molt before we shipped them. And it also gives us time to treat them for parasites to go through and check to make sure there is no allobiopsy day and um, different things like that. And so that's where our 30-day quarantine um, came in. And, and that's like our big thing with our import is, is we do guarantee that you're going to get healthy shrimp. And, and if you don't, you know, we're going to work with you to get you new shrimp or we're going to figure out what's going on. Was it the shrimp? Was it your tank? And so we work with a lot of customers to get their tanks perfect so that they can't keep shrimp and make them successful. And so, yeah, so we import once a month usually. Um, we constantly have shrimp coming in, shrimp coming out, and it's, uh, it's been quite the journey. Yeah, so it's very cool to hear about, you know, your 30 days and, and exactly why you implemented it and the, um, you know, the, what, what you've learned in your experience with the molting um, as kind of like a real quick high level for those that don't know green fungus, um, and I mean myself included in terms of I've heard of it, but give us like a quick, you know, one or two minute, you know, what exactly is it and, and what happens to the shrimp other than the end result being that just that they, they die. Yeah, so, so elobiops today, and, and this is all speculation, these are things that we see that um, hobbies that we work with see. Um, so elobiopsidae is an internal parasite. Um, we believe it comes from the ponds in Taiwan, um, whether it's in the water system that they use, because a lot of their ponds, they just use straight river water. Um, they don't really, I mean, they probably filter it, but they don't go super clean. Um, they, they usually keep them in greenhouses that are, you know, birds can fly in there and poop in the ponds, and then the, the shrimp eat that. And so it's just an internal parasite. Um, that usually, um, you know, starts growing out of the body. And once it starts growing out of the body, it resembles what a buried shrimp would look like. And a buried shrimp is just a shrimp that has eggs, and she's, she's fanning them. She has them, you know, right below her tail. And so a lot of people will get shrimp that have elobiopsidae or the green fungus and just think that it's a buried female. And so the elobiopsidae, again, is an internal parasite. Um, it, it grows out of the body once it, you know, aggresses to, like, the harmful stage. And that's when you can see it. And um, what we found is it's not contagious to the point where, like, hey, if one shrimp in a tank has it, they're all doomed. Um, what we found is there's two ways that it spreads. It spreads from um, a parent to generation one. Um, and then it also spreads by a shrimp dying and then the other shrimp eating the green fungus. Because you can actually see it when, when a shrimp with elobiopsidae dies, um, the first thing that other shrimp eat is all that green nastiness that's the parasite. And so we believe those are the two ways it spreads. We don't think it spreads through the water column. Um, so a lot of hobbyists, hardcore hobbyists, they, you know, there's a lot of misunderstandings. And there's a lot of information out there that we don't, just don't know what's true. 
Um, it's uncurable, so there's no way to cure it. So whenever we find one that has it, um, we just call that shrimp. Um, and then we actually do testing in-house on them and uh, just see if we can't cure it. And we haven't found a cure yet. We've had things that have helped, um, but we're we're not ready to talk about that yet. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, it's just a, it's just a terrible, terrible parasite um, that you really don't want to have. But if you do get it, it's not the end of the world. The biggest thing is just call it before it dies. So I, I guess then... To my untrained shrimp eye, right? I've got red cherry shrimp, but I'm by no means a shrimp expert. I would, I would assume, I would be one of the people that would look at a shrimp with this fungus and think that it's a buried female, right? But I guess what are the things that I, I and I would assume that you and your staff can probably by sight, you know, before they die, tell. Um, what, what are the things that you're looking for, or what you know would mark the Elobiopsidae as opposed to just a, a legitimate buried cherry shrimp? Yeah, so the the one thing you're looking for is elobiopsy is actually, it looks like hair. So it looks like a bunch of little hairs growing out of the shrimp, uh, whereas a buried shrimp is just eggs. Oh, okay. Um, the, other, the other big thing that we look for is if you're looking down on your shrimp, usually elobiopsy starts at the back of the last two legs on the shrimp. And so it will actually look like fur coming out of the, like, where the, the leg attaches to the body. And so if you're looking down on the shrimp from the top of your tank, you'll actually see like green little bushes coming off the side of your shrimp. Um, rarely does it start in the middle of the tail or towards the end of the tail. It's always starting like right at those back two legs. Awesome. And so Rob, you know, in, in the, in the introductory, you know, when you and I were just talking before we started recording, you know, I, I told you that there wasn't like a hardcore, like, you know, thing that I wanted to pull out of this and that, you know, we'd let the conversation kind of organically flow. And, and I'm so glad that we came on this topic and to hear your, your experiences, um, on Elobiopsy Day because now I feel like, okay, listeners, here's kind of like that educational nugget that I like to have in every episode. So, you know, thank you, Rob, for delivering on that. Um, I definitely, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate it because now I'm more of an informed shrimp keeper. Um, you know, every time I have a conversation with somebody, whether it's, you know, I don't know, uh, plecos or, or Corydoras or shrimp, you know, I, I like to try to learn something and I hope that my listeners can as well. So again, thank you very much for that. Yeah, no, not a problem at all. And, and by rough numbers, right? So let's go back to your operations in the warehouse. I mean, there's so much in there that I want to unpack that we won't have time for. But by rough count of gallons, like how many how many gallons do you think are in the warehouse right now of water? I would say we have probably a little over 10,000 gallons of water. That's fantastic. And so your local water municipality is, is keenly aware of you, I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, that, actually, you would be shocked um, about the amount of water we use. It's, it's not as high as you think. Like, um, I actually just got back from paying my water bill today, um, and my water bill for two months of use uh, was $84. Whoa. And so, it's yeah, it's extremely cheap here. And that's, that's with awesome. you know, producing thousands of gallons of RO water. Wow. That's very cool. And so, I guess, from a square footage perspective, what is your operation at right now? Our operation is 4,000 square feet. Okay, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a pretty good-sized space. I mean, that's most definitely larger than the average American home. And then as far yeah, as... Yeah, so, I mean... Oh, go for it? Oh, I was just going to say, uh, like, my house. My house water bill is, is almost more than the warehouse water bill, which is just kind of crazy to even fathom. Oh, that's crazy. And so your warehouse, you know, you don't have to give us, you know, the, the location of it or, you know, specific names, but are you a standalone warehouse or are you in an industrial park? 
No, yeah, we're we're a standalone warehouse. Oh, okay. So it's not like you've got you know um, neighbors that are are in more traditional lines of work, I guess you could say, and they have no idea that next door to them is this you know <laughs> U.S. import uh, freshwater shrimp breeding operation. Yeah. So no, that it's actually really funny that you brought that up. Uh, we uh, we <laughs> we had a. A news guy, it's our local news channel, he contacted me, and I thought it was like some big scam. Um, he contacted me, he's like, hey, I heard about your business, I think it's crazy that you do that in Ohio, because like, what a weird place to, you know, be the, the capital of the country for freshwater shrimp. Like, that's just crazy, because it's cold up here, there's really no tropical weather, and so he came out here and did a story, and he was just blown away, and, and they aired it on the local station, so now everyone kind of has like this ownership of like, hey, like, we're really big in the ornamental shrimp market. And so, so it's really cool. Like when we run into people at the post office and they see like, we have a bunch of live animal stickers on our side. They're like, what are you shipping? Like, is, is that shrimp? And they're like, we saw you on the news. So it's, it's kind of cool that uh, now every, like all of our neighbors have an idea of like, Hey, like that's the shrimp guy. That's where the shrimp operation is and things like that. Yeah. That, that is awesome, man. And I saw that uh, news, the, 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 the TV, um, interview of that and you know the mini little tour that you did of the of the facility and I thought that was fantastic it was uh, shared on social media and we'll make sure we have that in the, in the show notes as well so if anybody that hasn't had a chance to see it you know somebody in our hobby whether you're shrimp or cichlids whatever you are being interviewed by a local tv personality I mean that is super cool right like to me that's like that's kind of like a validation of making it right like obviously setting up your operation and you know being able to get orders in and fulfilling your orders but having having a, a new news channel feature you in a segment i think is really cool yeah it was it was awesome um i mean it's all humbling like you know i i always give credit back to god because you know i'm i'm religious like i don't know if you are the listeners are but um i would just give credit back to him because like everything just worked out in the perfect timing um everyone i met it was just all perfect like i i couldn't do it again if i had to um so yeah it's, it's really cool like you know, when news companies come out and interview you and uh, it just it just shows that like you're making a difference. And that is basically my whole goal of doing this was to make that difference. And, uh, and I'm happy to say we are making a difference. No, that that's fantastic, Rob. And I think in this hobby in particular, um, you know, I, I think you know, what I'm attracted to is people that, that are humble, people that are successful and people that aren't, you know, braggadocious or, or over the top. And I think that's fantastic. And I hope that the listeners out there that are hearing you talk are, are appreciating that. Um, and I know a lot of your, your humbleness does come through the videos. Like you're a super nice guy. Like you can just tell watching you interact with others. Um, but you know, just one more person to say that I've interacted with that I've had such a positive experience and hope, you know, you continue to be super, super successful in your business and just help grow this, this wonderful hobby hobby like I always like to say um on that note like what do you have planned you know can you can you peel back the curtains a little bit on what the the plan for um flip aquatics in the future looks like yeah well first of all thank you so much Randy I really appreciate you saying all that um it does mean a lot and and I do always try to remain humble and it, it isn't it isn't always easy I guess like whenever you do see success it it's easy to get wrapped up into it but I always just try to ground myself in and remind myself what I'm doing. So thank you for, for saying that. I really do appreciate it. And uh, as far as peeling back the curtains, um, yeah, I could, I could definitely do that for you and, and all, all the YouTube, or all the, not, I guess we're not on YouTube, all the podcast people out there, the Aquarius followers. 
Um, but yeah, so what we have going on now is we're actually just finalizing um, Fish Room 1. We redid it. Um, that was the first room we ever built. And uh, we really want to take a go at the nanofish world. And so we want to start really getting into selling um, nanofish and, and plants and, and kind of just our, our big goal is to be all things nano, to do all things nano. Um, anything that, you know, you could put into a nano tank, that's what we want to stock. Um, our main focus will always be shrimp because that's where I really fell in love in the first place, and that's where I really want to make the difference. Um, but I just see such an open door for nanofish because as someone that enjoys nanofish, um, I go to try to buy them online, and, I mean, where do you go? There, there's really nowhere. And so I, I, I see a need, and I want to fill a need. And uh, and even talking further, um, I guess another thing I could touch on is we're we're getting ready to do something that – um, is very exciting. Um, I got a 480-gallon aquarium recently. It is uh, four feet by eight foot by two foot, and uh, it is just an awesome tank. And we uh, we actually are just getting ready to set that up later this month. And uh, our goal is to have the biggest shrimp tank on YouTube. <laughs> That's and so we're, awesome. <laughs> uh, we're we're really excited about that. So are you gonna go? It's, are you gonna go uh, single species? Or are you gonna do a little LR Brett's kind of a la Skittles? Or what's your plan for it? Yeah. So are you familiar with uh, blue bolt shrimp? I know that they're a pretty blue one. Are they the lighter blue or a darker blue? So they're they're a mix of both. There there could be light ones. There could be dark ones. They're a type of Taiwan bee. So they're a Caridina species okay. or Caridina genus. Um, but yeah, they're they're just an awesome shrimp. They're my favorite shrimp as far as Taiwan bees go, and so we're actually gonna do. Um, I, I think we're gonna do a ton of them in there. Like I'm thinking like ten thousand shrimp. Um, wow. With the blue bolts in there. Ten thousand shrimp. I. That just sounds like such a mind-boggling number of shrimp to even try to like count and process. So um, I guess right now in the warehouse. The biggest pond, the the, the highest density. Um, how many shrimp are in one given pond or one given tank right now? I guess you're you're the the most for comparison's sake. So the most we have right now is we have 100 gallon ponds, and uh, our max stock on those is a thousand shrimp. Wow! So you're gonna go ten times in in this new tank. That is fantastic. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be something to see. Are you gonna? Like, Everyone's going to call me crazy, but I can't wait. Are you going to do like a Murphy, uh, are you going to live cam it with like a Nest Cam or something for people to log on and just yeah. check it? Oh, awesome. <laughs> yes. So we actually, I mean, there's so much that we can unpack. Um, my my goal is I really want to get the, the live cam down and figure out how you can do it with shrimp that it will make a difference. Because like the Murphy cam, Murphy is a huge fish. So you can have the camera back a little bit far on the tank, like it doesn't have to be right up next to it. Well, shrimp, you have to be right up next to them to see. So I really have to kind of figure that out and uh, and see how we're, what the best way of doing it is. Oh. Most likely it's going to have to be an underwater 24-7 um, cam. That is awesome. Man, so I'm already picturing uh, get like an underwater cam in the center, kind of in like a little, in a dome, right? In a clear dome in the very bottom with the substrate. And then users can control it and kind of pan it around, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that that is the, the dream is one of those 360 cameras just constantly going in the center. That is super cool. Uh, do you have any thoughts on aquascaping? Like what, what are your thoughts for, uh, you know, how you want to decorate this tank? So I'll reveal it here, but I, I, I haven't told my YouTube channel. I haven't told oh, anyone nice. else. Oh, <laughs> nice. 
Um, but here's what we're planning. We're actually um, – are you familiar with Mike from Aquapros? Yeah, yeah. He's in uh, – He's. I think he's in Oregon. I've never met him in person, but, yeah, I've definitely – I've seen some of his videos, yeah. Yeah, so me and Mike are actually really good friends, and uh, Mike's actually making a trip out here uh, to spend a week with us and kind of shoot some videos and stuff. And so him and I, mainly him, um, we're going to aquascape this monster tank together. And uh, I believe we're going to use some bonsai trees. We're going to do a lot of dragonstone, a ton of moss, ton of Anubias, and kind of just make this this beautiful um, mountainscape. Wow, dude, that sounds awesome. That sounds like something that, you know, you want to be there to, to witness. That is going to be so cool, man. Yeah, I, I cannot wait. I, I'm beyond happy and just, oh, can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your what's your timeline, man? When do you think this uh, this tank is going to be up and running? Like rough estimate. So I would say this tank will be up and running and ready for shrimp um, by the first of November. Oh, very- uh, that is my goal. Now, granted, it could be sooner than that, but that is like that's my deadline. Like November, it needs to be going. Oh, very cool. So that's not too far away, man. That's, you know, that's a couple weeks after Aquatic Experience in October. And, you know, free plug for Aquatic Experience. If you haven't bought your tickets yet, you need to go. Absolutely. Cause you you got to be there. Everyone else is coming. Because you, you, <laughs> you will be there, right? I will be there. We're actually, um, we're having the, the fish tube booth, which is all the, the YouTubers that are fish keepers. Um, we're having that booth and then the Flip Aquatics booth. And it's kind of just all one big booth. Awesome. Very and cool. we have a couple. Yeah, oh, it will it'll be it will be a lot of fun. You definitely have to be there. So the the uh, unspoken, unwritten agreement when you agree to come on the Aquarius podcast is that I get to squat in your booth for an extended period of time at Aquatic Experience. So that's uh, that's pretty much what I'm going to do is go from booth to booth of people that I've interviewed and just hang out. Absolutely, <laughs> um, you can actually be you can be a part of the YouTube booth if you, if you're interested. You know, uh, we'd the, love to have you sit down at our YouTube booth, sign some posters and things like that. Um, That'd be excellent. You know what? People will see that double R and be like, "Who the heck is that, Randy Reed? What? <laughs> what is that?" You know. In all fair, the the podcast oh, the, the podcast does push the YouTube, and there's actually a fair number of people that, um, to my surprise, have have subs- subscribed to it and um, and listened to it through through that medium. Um, you know, for me, I mean, whether you're listening to it through Podbean or if you're using Stitcher or you know you're just at work with it playing in YouTube on the background, um, totally cool. I'm just glad you know people get a chance to to hear the hear the show and hear fantastic conversations with people like you, Rob, that are just absolutely you know amazing people in the hobby, and you know hope that there's just more and more of you know there's there's only one Rob, right? But you know hopefully we can get more and more people on this show that have a great story to tell um, that people can can tune into. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what it's all about. And I mean, there's there's nothing better than just listening to a good conversation between two people uh, just discussing their passion. So yeah. I enjoy it. I enjoy listening to your podcast. And yeah, it's definitely a good thing that you're doing. Awesome, man. Well, thank you very much. And Rob, you are a, a super busy guy. Time is money for you. And I'm just very, very appreciative that you came on and talked to me today. Um, so I'm going to let you go to get back to your operations. And, you know, I'm just, again, very, very grateful that you took your time. And I can't wait to meet you in person. And I'd say that we should have a beer, but I've already promised probably 30 beers at this point to people. So I might just be drunk the entire <laughs> aquatic experience. And I can't I can't do that. So, But I'm looking forward to meeting oh you in person. Oh, my yeah, well, Randy, thank you so, so much, man. Really did appreciate it. Uh, thanks for reaching out to me. Uh, again, enjoyed hanging out with you and talking, and uh, I look forward to future episodes of your show. Thank you very much, Rob. You have a great day now. You too, Randy. Thank you.
Thank you again for listening to the Aquarius Podcast. As always, get involved in your local fish club, help grow this wonderful hobby, and have fun with other fish nerds.